0: This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Maximus Hunter.
1: And I'm Ron Wadsworth, and we have a pretty interesting show for you today. We're going to kick it off with Sports with Dixon, and then we're going to move right into our local news with our reporter, Coda Babcock. After that, we're going to have an interview with Professor Sloan with 23andMe.
0: No, uh, close. We uh, we did a pre-recorded interview with Allison Kung from 23andMe, who is the, uh, uh, outreach director of genetics there, and then after that we're going to discuss the interview with Allison with Professor Sloan, who is a genetics professor here at CSU. So that should be pretty exciting. After that we're going to have campus news with Ren. Um, we're going to do nationals. A lot of national days today, and finally, um, uh, episode of the weather that's less special than last week's episode since it's not snowing. <laughs> but it'll still be a great show. Uh, lots of cool genetics discussion. I'm really excited for that. So uh, if you're interested in that, stick around. Um, we do would uh, we would like to take phone questions for our guest, um, Professor Sloan. So uh, if you have any questions about genetics or bioinformatics or um, the applications of a DNA test like 23andMe, you can text them into nine seven zero four nine one Five two seven eight. That's nine seven zero four nine one five two seven eight. I'll also be putting out a Twitter question in just a moment. Uh, so if you have any questions for Professor Sloan, just let us know. Uh, first, though, we are going to have local news with Coda Babcock.
1: Actually, we're going to have
2: oh. Dixon with sports. Oh, <laughs> How's it going, guys? Everyone doing good today? Doing good, Dixon. How are you? Yeah, uh, you know I'm doing good. It's been a good week. CSU uh, volleyball once again had another two wins last week, and that helped them move up to number 14 in the nation. Uh, it started on Thursday as the Rams took on the visiting Fresno State. I forgot what their mascot, I believe it was Bulldogs. Don't quote me on that. As the Rams have been able to do all season, they were able to get off to a fast start and get an early lead in the first set, uh, taking Fresno State out of the set completely. Um, They continued this for the next two sets, and they scooted to another 3-0 victory. Uh, Then on Saturday, we had San Diego State come and try to knock off the Rams' impressive winning streak at home. Just like the opponents before them, San Diego State was unable to find a winning strategy against the Rams as they once again brought home a 3-0 victory. Christy Hillier was named the Mountain West Offensive Player of the Week, as well as she reached her 1,000th, excuse me, 1,000th <clears throat> kill, and she's had 500 blocks now in her career. So very impressive from Christy Hillier. Uh, this week, volleyball kicks off Thursday at Boise State, and then they'll be traveling on to Utah State on Saturday. The CSU Rams football team finally was able to get the losing bug off as they were able to take uh, take it to New Mexico 35-21. CSU's offense struggled early, but once they found their footing in the second half uh, with the combination of the defense, CSU started to kind of click. After the big win, the Rams will have the week off, and then they'll be headed back again the following week uh, against Fresno State in Fresno. On November 2nd, the CSU Rams football will be back at home playing UNLV at 1.30 here at Canvas Stadium. Thanks to underwriting support from New Belgium and Old Aggie, we are going to have sets of porch passes uh, to give away for that game. Be sure to tune into KCSU's pregame show three hours before the game for your chance to text in and win some prizes. And with that, that's sports. Thanks, Dixon. Thanks, yeah, guys. Thank you, yeah, Dixon. I appreciate it.
1: And what is the next... Did you mention what the next football game was going to be?
2: Yeah, so um, we have the bye week this week. um, And then the the following week we'll be headed... or We'll be traveling to Fresno State. I believe it's going to be a a Saturday game at 7. I'll double-check that really quick while while we're kind of getting all this done.
1: And what are your thoughts on the odds, um, our odds against Fresno State?
2: Um... So I haven't uh, been able to really go in and scout Fresno State yet. Um, Just for anyone knowing, that game is going to be at 530, though, uh, in Fresno. But that is Mountain Standard Time, so uh, you can still catch it. But other than that, uh, I haven't been able to scout Fresno State yet, scout them. Um, If CSU comes in and plays their game like they did against New Mexico, um, I'm not really worried. If they're able to handle the ball, stop turnovers, um, and on defense, they're starting to create the turnovers. So if the defense can keep it up and the offense can limit their turnovers, um, I think they're going to have a really successful outing.
1: All right all right well thank you again dixon yeah, thank a pleasure you guys.
2: to have you on i appreciate it all
1: right coda do you want to kick it off with local news
3: of course all right so i'm coda babcock and this is your local news for tuesday october 15th 2019. the city of fort collins is seeking volunteers to serve on city boards and commissions applications are due october 31st 2019 board and commissions members support and advise city council on issues like housing utilities and recreational services for the city volunteers can serve only on one board for board or commission, but can apply for up to two. Applicants must have at least a year of residency in Fort Collins' growth management area. Applications and more information can be found at fcegov.com boards. The City of Fort Collins is also advising Fort Collins residents to avoid throwing leaves into the trash or streets this fall. Leaves are helpful for residents and farmers alike for use as animal bedding or to help insulate gardens or farms during cold weather. To give your leaves to a neighbor, you can reach out through the app next door or through Facebook. Timberline Recycling Center, the Larimer County Landfill Green Waste Program, and several other local businesses will be collecting them for recycling. Seasonal leaf and yard trimming collections are also available, and you can contact your trash disposal company for more information on cost. By reusing and recycling leaves, the city is able to get closer to to community zero waste goals. The roundabout located at Sculpture Drive and 5th Street is going to be repaved tomorrow, October 16th. Construction teams will be working in the area from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Flaggers will be there to support drivers in taking detours through local neighborhoods.
0: Just to clarify, that's in Loveland, correct?
3: Uh, Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, Golden Gate State Park is now offering permits for Christmas tree cutting. 250 permits are available with a limit of two permits per household. Each permit holder can cut one tree. Applicants applications are available from november 1st to november 12th and will be available on colorado parks and wildlife's website through golden gate state parks section along with the price those retrieving their christmas tree are encouraged to warm up in the park's visitor center where hot drinks cookies candy and more will be available canned goods collections for the local food bank will also be happening in honor of the holiday season thanks for listening today again i'm coda bobcock and this is the rocky mountain review on kcsu on 90.5 fm
0: it's Thanks, so interesting. Coda. Thank you, Cody. Yeah, it's so interesting that you uh, can't throw away leaves. I never realized that.
3: Oh, you can. It's just really you it's shouldn't. recommended to um, do other things with them to oh. uh, to help with the zero waste program. That's I don't want to
2: be the one guy on my block throwing away his leaves, especially with all the leaves that just <laughs> fell. Like I don't know about mm-hmm. you guys, yeah, but, like all of them fell yeah. one day. <laughs> my entire car was like covered in just trees. I and couldn't snow even get leaves was Beautiful. Yeah, it was, I was amazing.
1: Pretty sad about that, honestly. I was so looking forward to. A- beautiful fall with uh, it kind of I mean, turned into a nice beautiful fall all yeah.
0: the leaves are just down already but like yeah. it, there's definitely something in the air uh, I think it's funny that also Christmas tree cuttings happening now and it's not even I Halloween know. yet uh, speaking of Halloween on uh, I just thought of this now if our, our listeners have any suggestions for our Halloween show because we're, we're planning that out right now and we want to do something fun so if you have any suggestions for that feel free to send us a text spooky sports spooky sports Ooh. with Dixon all day. <laughs> Um, all day what are that's, you it, about? it's Halloween for Dixon it's, you're doing the whole show gotcha. it's scary for you hey I can try um, <laughs> but like I was saying we do have Professor Dan Sloan in the studio, and we'd love to have some questions from our listeners for him. So we're gonna be talking about uh, 23andMe uh, and genetics with Professor Sloan. So if you have questions about genetics or bioinformatics or uh, how we should look at 23andMe, feel free to text those in at 970-491-5278 or tweet them to us at KCSUFM or text at 970-491-5278. We're gonna take a quick break, but we're gonna be right back with that 23andMe piece. So uh, if you're interested, don't go anywhere. And we're back with the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCC Four Collins. My name is Maxima Sunter.
1: And I'm Ren Wattsworth.
0: We're about to head into an interview I did about a week ago with Allison Kung from 23andMe. Allison is the director of Genetics Outreach. And uh, she's talking about some new programs 23andMe DNA tests have for public consumption. Um, Like I said, this interview was recorded uh, last week, so uh, we can't do any live interaction during the interview, but we would love you to text your questions in for the discussion afterwards with Professor Daniel Sloan, who's a genetics professor here at CSU. And for any questions for him, text us 970-491-5278 or tweet at us at KCSU. Once again, that's 970-491-5278. Without any further ado, here is 23andMe's Allison Kong. So first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me, Allison.
4: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Matt.
0: So just to start off, for our listeners who uh, may not have heard of 23andMe, could you just describe what the uh, service does?
4: Yeah, of course. So 23andMe is a direct-to-consumer genetic test that offers an ancestry and a health service. So essentially, we conduct a process called genotyping, where we analyze specific windows of DNA that our researchers have found provide interesting information about a person's ancestry, traits, or health. So it's pretty simple. All you do is fit in a tube, you send it off to the lab, and then two to three weeks later, um, you get your results um, by logging into our website.
0: And what kind of things can you learn from these tests?
4: So there are three main things that we uh, launched. So the first one being um, ancestry composition. So ancestry composition is essentially your ethnicity estimate where we take your DNA and compare it to reference populations from all over the world in order to give you a percentage breakdown down to the 0.1% of what your makeup is. And then the second thing that we now have, which is brand new, is a auto-populated family tree. So, this is really neat because essentially what it does is it leverages a newly created algorithm and the 10 million people in our database to give you a genetics or DNA based family tree. So, you can see, you know, of your closest relatives, like how is it that you exactly are related to each other. Third thing that we offer now is that um, we give you more than 35 trait reports. What traits are, They are essentially like a fun way for you to understand how your DNA influences your appearance and senses from anything like eye color to taste preferences. So it's just a, it's an interesting way to engage with your genetics and see how um, it affects um, your daily appearance.
0: That's very interesting. And you're telling me you can get all of that from a little bit of spit in a tube?
4: That's right.
0: (laughs) So how, how does that work?
4: Yeah, so I kind of mentioned the the genotyping experience. So then essentially what our, how it works is that during the genotyping process, right, we're looking at those specific windows of DNA, and we basically have identified whether it's for ancestry or for traits or for our other service health, um, our product scientists are running those windows against different algorithms that we have. For each of these features. So, for every single report, they have, we have proprietary algorithms that determine, like, based on the commonalities of your DNA and other people's DNA and of known associated conditions, we can provide you reports then on, um, on these various sort of aspects of your DNA.
0: Interesting. So uh, where where does the data come from? Does it come from your own uh, DNA research? Does it come from uh, research of others? Because it sounds like you're comparing uh, each individual tester to kind of a collection.
4: Yeah. So the reference, yeah, reference data sets come from publicly available data sets, as well as our own customers who have consented to research. And in terms of the algorithms, those are things that we, um, our scientists make in-house, right? <laughs> they have done a lot of research and med and combined many studies and conducted our own research to come up with these algorithms.
0: It sounds like, uh, there's, so you've got the three new categories of information you can, you can gain from these tests. Uh, what kind of, what kind of benefits can that give people? What kind of applications can this information have?
4: Yeah. So no, it's, um, it's all very interesting because I mean, One of the things that I think 23andMe provides more than anything is the diversity aspects, right? A lot of the data that is publicly out there right now or existing research is is quite limited. A lot of the representation comes mostly from people of European descent, which in the long run um, really affects actually even ancestry or medical discoveries. So for us, because we have, we we really focus on um, diversity efforts in order to get data from around the world through our population collaborations project and global genetics project and the success of these programs really feed back into our projects where we're able to then look at a more diverse set of um, data to then come up with better results for our customers
0: makes sense so um, uh, on your website I noticed that one of the uh, one of the applications of 23 andme me is health prediction uh, would you say that that can uh, that people can use genetics to look at what their potential health uh, risks might be in the future?
4: Yeah. So you're talking about our um, health and ancestry service. So on top of the ancestry um, features that I mentioned earlier, we also have a health service, which does allow you to understand um, three different sets of health reports. Um, The first one being health predisposition which is essentially we look at genetic factors that may influence your chances of developing certain health conditions, such as type 2 diabetes um, and also breast cancer. Um, Another type of health report that we provide is carrier status. So these are essentially specific genetic variants that may not affect your health but could affect your children's health, like cystic fibrosis. And then the third set is wellness reports, and that's how your DNA may affect your body's response to diet, exercise, or sleep. So, for example, some people only need to have one cup of coffee a day. Others need to have six. So it just depends on the person.
0: Um, I'm just wondering, uh, ethically, what can you do with uh, genetic health predictions uh, if someone like a healthcare provider were to get that information, they could use it to gouge your price or something along those
4: lines? Oh, I see what you mean here. Sorry. So we. I mean, we have legislation. There is legislation that protects um, individuals from the, this sort of information landing into healthcare providers. So, if you're talking about health insurance, there is legislation called GINA. Um, essentially, health insurance companies are not allowed to access the information unless, for some reason, you want them to, like you as an individual, want to share that with them. I mean. More than anything, um, I mean, we're meant to be a diagnostic test, so it's, you know, not a – sorry. Oh, sorry. We're not a diagnostic test. (laughs) Um, And it's meant to be shared. You're supposed to take it to your health provider to kind of help have them help you understand it.
0: Gotcha. So it's uh, the person, once they get their results, it's up to them what they do with it.
4: Exactly. Right. But there's no reason we don't share any of your information with employers or health insurance companies. The control is also in the individual's hands. Like you have the option to delete um, your data or destroy your sample as well.
0: Wow. Interesting. Um, do you have any any stories of uh, a time twenty three and Me has uh, you've seen it really uh, change someone's life?
4: Yeah, for sure. We have. Uh, I mean, honestly, we hear stories every day from many customers where the the test has changed their lives. I mean, more than anything. Um, it, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, the, the beauty of the DNA test is just like it's a unique, personalized story of every person. So we hear a lot of stories from like adoptees um, finding long lost adoptees who have found each other. And wow. also, I mean, the, the cool thing is that there's something for everyone. Like, I mean, in my case, I've been on 23andMe for three years and then have reconnected with an uncle who our family lost touch with for 30 years. And it turns out he lives 20 minutes away from me, and his wife is my favorite food blogger.
0: That's incredible. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah,
4: and then it's really interesting because he also – I mean, another aspect, too, is that one of our health reports is for um, the BRCA variant. So a lot of people don't actually know that they're Ashkenazi Jewish, and Ashkenazi Jewish people um, have a predisposition or tend to have a predisposition to – um carry the BRCA variants or one of the BRCA variants putting them at a higher risk for ovarian breast cancer so for a lot of our customers um they take the test and then they realize they're at a higher risk and then confirm the results with their doctor and able to take preventative measures
0: that's good um fun fact i'm actually Ashkenazi jewish so i just learned something (laughs) thanks yeah there you go (laughs) wow good that's probably good to know (laughs) well awesome um We'll wrap this up. I just uh, for like a final question, um, what with with these three new additions to Twenty Three and Me, uh, what what would you like to see happen with these three new additions? How would you like to see people react?
4: I think with these three new additions, this, the biggest thing for us is for people to kind of have a better understanding of who they are. And also to, you know, to have something to talk to their families about and to connect with potentially other family out there that they didn't know about. Um, more than anything, I think the mission of our company really is to help people access, understand, and benefit from their human genome. So we, we hope through these three features, this, they give people a better understanding of who they are as a whole um, and just kind of adds to their life story.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for talking with me, Allison. That was Allison Kung of 23 and Me Genetic Tests. Um, thank you so much, Allison, for taking the time to talk with us. Um, it was really, it's enlightening, it's really interesting stuff, and because we wanted to keep that conversation going, we actually have a genetics professor in the studio with us today. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself?
5: Uh, sure, great to uh, be here. My name's Dan Sloan. I'm in the Department of Biology here at CSU. I've been here about uh, six years or so, so first time on uh, KCSU
0: thanks for joining us Professor thanks Sloan for coming on. can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you what you've been working on
5: uh, sure so I describe myself as an evolutionary biologist and in the sort of current day and age of the biological sciences we like to think about how evolution plays out at a molecular level so that includes uh, gene and DNA sequences protein sequences and structures and, and whole genomes
0: and part of that's not just things that have happened in the past but how things may look in the future right
5: Sure, absolutely. There's a lot of work in projecting where evolution's going in addition to what it's done in the past. Right on.
1: So uh, going back to the interview Max did earlier, uh, the 23andMe reports are based on approximately 10 million uh, people in a database um, that 23andMe has collected over the years. And how accurate do you think those reports are?
5: Uh, I think it would depend a lot on what element of the report you're you're talking about, and it might also depend on who you are, because those 10 million samples that they've collected are not necessarily evenly distributed across the global human population. There Certainly, uh, that's something that's affected the field of human genomics for a long time, uh, where there was a overrepresented sampling of Europeans and individuals of European ancestry early on. So if you were looking for information uh, related to a European individual, you'd have a much richer data set to pull from than, say, other human uh, populations. Uh, So it might depend on exactly what type of element you're pulling out of these uh, databases.
0: So let's, let's get a little more specific and talk about health then. Um, do you think that these reports could provide information for people um, to change how they approach their health in a way that they weren't already, such as you know just eating better and exercising?
5: Sure. Absolutely. And I think, you know, know, I'm not a medical practitioner or professional, but it's clear that one direction that the field of medicine is going in is personal genomics, because, you know, there's not going to be a one size fits all solution to all health uh, problems and the uh the basis of some of these health guidance health uh um information you get from 23andme isn't that complicated you know it comes from techniques that sound really complicated like genome-wide association study but all that's doing is mining a rich data set like 23andme has looking at each little window within the genome and asking whether the specific variant the specific form of dna that an individual has at that position is correlated with health outcomes so they uh you know sample the diversity of human populations and they say do individuals with this genetic variant uh, have a higher chance of developing a particular form of cancer uh, or a you know particular uh, neurodegenerative disease Um, doesn't have to be health related you know 23andme is also broken ground in things like whether you do or do not smell that weird smell in your asparagus, you know, in your urine yeah. after eating asparagus, right? It can be any trait you want, you know, the trivial or the, uh, the, you know, of great importance when it comes to, to biomedicine.
0: So in a, a non, uh, in a, in a more consumer point of view in the side of healthcare, how do you think these kind of technologies will change how we approach healthcare, not just for like, um, you know, treating them, but as far as coverage, I mean, right now, 23andMe, they told us they can't provide these tests to healthcare providers, but if a client chooses to, they can, uh, do you think there could be some kind of incentive to give a healthcare provider your genetic profile?
5: I would be worried about giving a uh, health insurer uh, my genetic uh, profile. Uh, There definitely would be an incentive to give a healthcare provider your genetic profile because it potentially gives them actionable information on how to treat you. Uh, So it kind of depends on whom you're interacting with and whether it's someone who has your health interests in mind or their own financial interests in mind.
0: So. So, someone with a genetic predisposition for illness could—you think they could be taken advantage of by a health insurance company? Say, if that information were public.
5: I personally would worry about that. You know, I—I have you know, had my 23andMe profile done, um, and. I'm fairly open about sharing it. I show snippets of it in front of my genetics class, let's say, but it's not something that I would be comfortable making publicly accessible because, you know, we live in a world where people are making decisions and the legislative landscape on, on issues like this is certainly still in flux, and there's at least the potential that I could imagine for uh, health insurers to, to take advantage of, of that information. Others are more open in sharing it, though, you know, very early on, people like Uh, uh, Craig Venter, who's a sort of well-known and somewhat flamboyant pioneer in the field of genomics, had his own human genome sequence, not just parts of it with 23andMe, which only looks at a small portion of your... He was one of the first to have the whole thing, right? Yep. So he had uh, uh, his entire genome uh, sequenced, and he made it publicly available, uh, I believe with the exception of one small region that's known to be associated with Alzheimer's, because he himself didn't really want to know whether he was uh, uh, at risk. There, I'm not entirely sure of that, but I believe that was the one reason that uh, one region of the of his own data that he had masked.
0: Gotcha. So we're gonna we're gonna loop back around to some of the the dangers of uh, wholesale bioinformatics and maybe some of the legislative stuff. But I think uh, Ren is gonna take this next question in a little bit of a different direction.
1: Yeah. So another thing that Twenty uh, Three and Me uh, claims is to have uh, access to an ancestry composition where a consumer's DNA is ethnically from and how accurate do you think that's going to be
5: i I mean it's tough for me to to quantify that but i think there's a uh you know at this point with the amount of data that uh are available to map ancestry uh i think it is quite accurate um in my own personal case you know i uh You know, I'm what a geneticist would call an F1, which is sort of the result of two different uh, uh, lines or population crossings. So uh, my father is an Ashkenazi Jew. Uh, My mother is of Northwestern European uh, descent, particularly uh, Wales and the British Isles. And so when I look at my ancestry composition, not only do I see that 50-50 mixture, I can immediately look at the parts of my genome and and figure out which chromosome came from mom and which chromosome came from dad, because they're sort of just uh, painted, if you will, along the length of them with that ancestry, and so it, for me personally, it recovers uh, quite clearly what I know about my own genealogy through sort of family oral history and, and where I know my my ancestors came from, and again, the numbers that you quoted, like having 10 million samples to work r- from from uh, you know across the globe, gives a lot of power in, in reconstructing uh, that type of information. So.
1: And then. A lot of these tests um, give you information into your history that you're, say, 12% Native American or 1% African American. What kind of societal implications do you think having a genetic ethnicity p- profile have when a lot, of consumers, a lot of consumers start claiming that ethnicity as part of their own?
0: And when you're discussing that kind of thing in a, in a larger context of society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I
5: mean, uh, I would imagine one interesting outcome of people being more aware of their ancestry and not just in a rough sense like oh I know where my four grandparents came from so that gives me a quarter each but actually down to finer scale percentages is the recognition of how genetically mixed, or what you know Genesis would call admixed uh, the human population is, um, We are not a species that has a long, long history. Of isolation and genetic differentiation so uh, a lot of our, our populations actually have sort of contributions uh, from very uh, different subpopulations and that that's the norm and not uh, the exception that you might have small percentages from different regions of the, uh, the globe that you didn't automatically uh, sort of you know think of yourself uh, as descending from so I think that could create a lot of awareness that you know, human populations are actually pretty mixed and not that genetically differentiated by what we typically think of in terms of things like race and, and whatnot
0: so let's put on our uh, our george orwellian science fiction thinking caps for a second and picture a future world where uh everyone's genetic information is in a database like 23 and Me, and all that information is for sale what kind of consequences do you think that would have
5: Uh, I mean, the the two obvious ones that, you know, one we've already discussed is the potential of, you know, People that you might not necessarily want to having uh, information about your risk for disease, because that could play out in terms of uh, how much you pay for health insurance and things like that. Uh, and then another thing that we've we've already seen and been in the news recently is stuff like the uh, law enforcement using genetic databases to track down uh, people and, and suspects. So there's been you know high-profile uh, examples in the news where you know people haven't necessarily found the Suspect in a DNA database, but they've taken a DNA uh, sample that's associated with a crime scene and gone into some of the public databases that are more open in sharing DNA and found a close relative uh, based on similarity in DNA sequence and then used that as the next step of tracking down the uh, uh, purported criminal. So, you know, depending on what you feel about that and your own privacy uh, concerns, it does sort of raise the obvious question it's not just your choice, right, as to whether you make your genetic information public. When your relatives start making their genetic information uh, public, that indirectly gives the world insight into your uh, uh, DNA and your um, uh, own genetic information.
0: So it's kind of like the whole vaccination thing where if one person isn't vaccinated it kind of affects the people around you? Absolutely.
5: Yep. It's definitely a, a choice that's not quite as private as sometimes we think and can affect other people.
0: Interesting. So. Um, an, another possible application if, with my sci-fi thinking cap on um, that I, I can't credit this is my own idea this was my dad's idea but um, say a company like Jewel could learn that certain people have a genetic predictor for addiction or to be more susceptible to addiction um, and eventually this information you know eventually everyone's uh, DNA test you can see and uh, advertisers can see that you are more likely to have this predictor for addiction and then maybe advertise to you, even if you don't use a jewel, they could advertise jewel products to you. Uh, do you think that is something that could happen? And would there be a benefit to that, or is that just a bad thing?
5: Yeah, um... I do imagine it's something that could happen, and when you think about these data sets, you know, we immediately think of the genetic information—the sort of you know whole genome sequencing or the uh, you know more subset genotyping that uh, services like Twenty Three uh, and Me provide—and that's basically the DNA side. But the other half of the equation here, and the other half of any kind of analysis, is on the tr- your traits, right? You know, you need to link that to medical conditions, like you know, susceptibility to disease, or to some sort of you know, uh, personal preference. So that's the other half of the data that needs to be collected when you know companies like Twenty Three and Me or others try to link your DNA to traits that might be relevant to someone, like say, uh, advertisers, and. You know, so 23andMe is also very active in that, you know, and uh, if you have their service performed, one thing you'll very quickly find is they will ping you constantly with opportunities and questions to answer. They're totally voluntary, Uh, and some of those are medical in nature, but some of them are just silly things like, are you a Mac versus PC user, right, and looking to whether there's any association there. But the fact that they would even ask that question does suggest that you could extend the thinking beyond... Simple medical traits or simple ancestry traits to issues of personal preference, which you don't need to be a rocket scientist to to see that there's a potential connection there to marketing and advertising. Um, And I certainly am not one to think that, you know, our. our susceptibility to advertising is entirely genetic, but I think it's very reasonable to imagine that there's a genetic component to it, and if you really, you know, dug in there, that there'd be some information that, uh, uh, you know, the the commercial world could take advantage of.
1: So, in your opinion, is there a way that we can prevent the abuse of uh, bioinformatics?
5: Um, I mean, it does strike me as a place where there's some uh, role for uh, federal or governmental oversight. And, you know, I think this is uh, an area where if it's turned entirely into the Wild West and it's set just by individual users trying to control their privacy settings and uh, companies, you know, uh, being at the discretion to determine what it is or is not okay, that you are going to open it up to sort of abuse by the fringe or, or rogue elements. Um, it's not on the DNA or genome sequencing side, but one thing that's you know really smacked the field of biotechnology in the face in the in the past year is on the actual genetic manipulation side. There's a uh, technology that's become uh, quite prolific and and sort of you know raised awareness in the public conscien- consciousness called CRISPR uh, gene editing um, and that has just made it a lot easier to make genetic modifications to uh, to organisms of all types and that's been going on uh, for, for over a decade now you know and preceding techniques of gene editing had you know long predated that but crisprs made it a lot easier and the one thing that sort of brought it warp speed though into the public consciousness was actual birth of human uh, babies that had been edited you know that was designer something designer babies Yep, yeah, exactly and this was you know a, a particular uh, a single group that was acting it surprised the field that people didn't realize that someone was you know actually in the, pro- the process of doing this uh, not just to human cells, not just as a therapeutic to treat a, a particular part of somebody's body, but actually to change the genetic material of the entire child. And so that you know was you know one small research group, um, and they kind of changed the entire landscape of the field and, and shocked a lot of people. And so I think you could have the same type element if you just say leave uh, the decision making up to individual companies. The field ends up getting shaped by the fringe of the uh, the distribution. People
0: doing the most wild things. So, what do you think that legal legal avenue could look like? Um, You know, uh,
5: I think the challenge would be, you know, what the international standard would be. Um, You could certainly have uh, at each. uh, level, you know, com- uh, countries individually coming up with their, their own laws. Um, but then if there's heterogeneity across different countries, you know, people then flock to the the more permissive uh, uh, countries. Um, but yeah, that would at least be the starting place that, you know, at a uh, national level, uh, individual countries set restrictions and guidelines on what can be done uh, with uh, uh certain data sets and you know if you are an insurance company operating in the United States, you cannot make use of somebody's individual genotype data to set a personalized rate of uh, uh, you know cost for their health insurance, for example.
0: So do you think the United States is going to be uh, a leader in this?
5: Yeah I mean I'm sure the United States will will be, up front in some respect because a lot of the, the companies, a lot of the research are centered here. Um, the United States, in my experience, uh, is a little less squeamish, though, about uh, privacy issues and biotechnology issues than places like Europe, for example. I mean, you see that in debates over genetically modified organisms and introduction of genetic modifications into to crop systems. Uh, Europe has been much more resistant uh, to that. So. So if uh, by leader you mean who's going to be the most restrictive and uh, limiting in in passing uh, legislations, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Europe is is sort of more aggressive in that respect than the United States. But that's purely a guess on my part. I I don't know. Yeah,
1: I was going to ask you if you thought that the United States would even make restrictions on especially selling uh your personal biological information to companies since there's not a lot of pushback currently about selling your personal information to companies right now Yeah, in any regard right
5: yeah i think i mean it's a good question right and we definitely are you know growing up and seeing generations come along that are just much less sensitive to privacy issues i mean i think i'm you know I'm probably in a, a you know a generation that predated Millennials and I think I am more of a private person and find it a little bit less comfortable with sort of sharing my own uh, private information um, That being said and and I don't know I just get a sense that there's people are a little bit more reserved about sharing their genetic information than say their day-to-day life social media persona where people have gotten so open about so I still think there's a little bit of uh, hesitancy and a fear of the idea of their genetics uh getting out there and being used against them because there's such a lack of control
0: uh, yes. over it it's, it's kind so of the personal. final frontier of sharing personal information because once you're sharing you know the the no. building but blocks of your <laughs> <laughs> dna there's not no. much more personal you can share than that no. um we're gonna wrap this up in a second uh thank you so much for joining us professor sloan i just want to know if you had any final thoughts to share with our listeners
5: uh, uh, A lot, I guess. I mean, I, I, this is definitely an area, and I'm not a human geneticist, um, but just because of the data that are available, you know, we've had folks in our lab uh, who are interested in evolutionary questions, you know, take advantage of these data sets that are out there. So, I mean, I think some of the, the conversation we've had is one of, concern and fear and what could go wrong and how things like this can be misused. But you know, I don't think I'd want to leave it on that note because they're really amazing data sets that are being produced that give us so much insight into our own biology and create so many opportunities uh, to learn more about uh, human history, human you know, medicine, and I think you know it really is an exciting and a positive time to be making use of uh, technologies like this and, and the data sets that they produce. Uh, So I think there's a lot of reason for optimism and excitement and not just sort of fear about where they might be leading.
0: Right on. Well, thank you so much, Professor Sloan, for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me.
1: So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to have campus news where I'm going to talk a little bit about how the Colorado State University Police Department gives you advice on how you can stop scammers and how you can... Kind of just detect them. After that, we're going to do a little bit of nationals.
0: And the weather. Can't forget the weather. (laughs)
1: Don't want to miss that at
0: all. Don't want to miss that. So uh, we'll have that for you right after the break. We'll be right back. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. My name is Maximus Hunter.
1: And I'm Ren Wadsworth. Oh, god.
0: We just heard (laughs) from uh, uh, Professor Dan Sloan about uh, genetics and bioinformatics. Uh, And before that, we uh, had a recorded interview with Alison Kung from 23andMe. Um, If you missed any of that and are interested in learning about uh, genetics and bioinformatics, we will be posting all of that to our our website, KCSU FM. Um,
1: Yeah, but coming up next, we're going to have Max give us some weather. Before that, though, we're gonna have a little bit of nationals, and even before that, I'm gonna give you all the news you need to know on the
0: campus. All the news that's fit to say on the radio.
1: <laughs> all, yes. That's it's, it's like <laughs> all sure the news t-
0: that's fit to print, but
1: yeah, but not as catchy. Not, not
0: as, as not nearly as catchy. As <laughs> so, um, uh, Ren, actually, I've been I've been uh, noticing this a lot. I've been uh, getting scammed a lot. Uh, those. Nigerian princes took all my cash. and all of My it? mother's maiden name.
1: Oh, that's
0: Yeah, so <laughs> my identity. This isn't actually me talking right now.
1: Right. We joke about it, but uh, scams are actually a huge issue, not just at CSU, but around the globe. Um, a lot of people aren't really sure how to stop these scams, how to detect them. So the Colorado State University Police Department actually um, gave us some advice for how to do it. So, the Colorado State University Police Department warns students and staff to be wary of potential targeting scams. In recent years, scams have become more elaborate and scammers are becoming smarter, targeting individuals through different platforms such as phone calls, texts, emails, social media, and sometimes even in person. Scammers often seem credible due to creating fake websites or emails that appear authentic. The CSUPD states that there are a few common threads that may indicate a scam. They call, the, they call these the three hallmarks of a scam, which include, but are not limited to, random unsolicited requests for money or financial information or offers of money or a job, high pressure, including intimidation, fear of harm to yourself or someone else, or a high pressure to trust the scammer to do what they say before they will stop communicating with you, intimate threats and fear, including threats of embarrassment, harm to the caller sc- caller/ scammer, harm, and harm to you or others, And some more red flags that it is a scam is if someone pressures you for payment via Venmo, PayPal, gift cards, Western Union, or MoneyGram, be extremely cautious and validate the request before sending any money. Government agencies generally won't call you and demand payment to avoid being arrested, charged with a crime, or being deported. Some scanners will accuse you of committing intentional fraud or threaten that information about you is being sent to to collections for a debt that you have not incurred. If you are... An intentional stu- international student, do not send money to resolve threats that you will be arrested or deported. Go to the INTO or International Programs offices for health. Uh, never share sensitive personal or financial information over the phone, email, or social media even if the person seems legitimate and the information they are sharing is accurate. The university does not allow unsolicited job offers to be emailed to employers, to employees and students over university email, even if the, jo- the offer appears to come from a student or employee. If you are offered a job that sounds too good to be true, it likely is. If you are asked to purchase anything as a part of an unsolicited job, it is likely a scam. They ask you to talk to your bank before depositing checks from sources you don't know and trust, particularly sources asking for help with transferring money or who are offering an unsolicited job. Some scams threaten embarrassment by building personal relationships with you. Other scams are perpetuated online, often via dating or social media sites. These scammers will build an online relationship with their senders. Um, some advice from CSUPD about seeing these scams is protect your personal information. Lock down privacy options on social media and don't accept requests from people engage, to engage from people you don't know. Don't provide access to your social security number or financial account information to anyone. This also includes your uh, student ID number. You should not release that to anybody. Don't send money to anyone you don't know and trust through a money exchange. Once again, through sites like Venmo or PayPal. And you can also visit online sites that list scam and uh, popular scammers, such as consumer.ftc.gov, to check any requests for money or information. If you have personally been a victim of scam, don't be embarrassed to make a report. You can report this at https://police.colostate.edu. Once again, that's police.colostate.edu. The CSUPD says that scams target thousands of people across the globe on a daily basis, and although it may feel like CSU is singled out, scammers rarely only target our community. The scams we experience are perpetuated worldwide. A couple of firsts are coming to Colorado State University. CSU is planning on hosting its first adaptive design workshop at the newly constructed Transl- Translational Medicine Institute. The event is set for November 8th and has an emphasis on preclinical, clinical veterinary, and translational human studies. Dr. Heather Pidoke is CS- the CSU's first chief medical research officer and associate director of research at the Translational Medicine Institute, stated, adaptive designs have been used by major pharmaceutical and device companies to improve the efficiency and ethical balance of randomized clinical trials. With adaptive design, the waste of money, time, and materialized and materials is minimized through the constant changing and rearranging of the trial. When a hypothesis seems to be ineffective, researchers have the flexibility to restructure the trial di- to different dosage amounts to different populations instead of being stuck in an inconclusive trial. The event is open to the public. To register, visit col.st cqwni. Once again, that's col.st cqwni. Another first for Colorado State University, the first female president of Kosovo, Artafeti Jajaga will be speaking at Colorado State University at the beginning of November. The event will take place on November 5th at 6 p.m. in the Lori Student Center Ballroom. The talk is part of the Global Engagement Distinguished Speaker Series, sponsored by the Office of International Programs and the CSU Se- The event colloquium sorry thank you about that uh the event is open to the public but tickets are required to attend if you're interested you can find tickets at csutix.com once again that's csutix.com thank
0: you so much ren um we definitely should send a reporter to that that sounds super cool
1: yeah it is pretty cool
0: all right well we're gonna come back with nationals and the weather but we are gonna take just a super quick break we will be right back And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. My name is Maximus Hunter,
1: and I'm Ren Wadsworth.
0: And um, we've had a, a pretty, pretty serious show. We talked about um, the local news. We talked about uh, scams uh, happening through email and phone to CSU students. We talked about genetics for a while. We talked to Allison Kung from Twenty Three and Me, as well as Professor Dan Sloan, all about genetics and bioinformatics. If you missed those and want to check them out, you can find them on our website. But I think it's time we lighten things up a bit. So Wren has the list of national days for today. And we're going to find out just uh, what day it is. What day is it, Ren?
1: So it's October 15th. I had to double check myself. <laughs> <laughs> I've said it wrong on air before. Uh, but it is definitely October 15th. Um, and something I didn't write about, but I was reminded really quickly that it was, is it is a free college application day. So a lot of colleges around the state, participate in this um and they offer a day where a lot of uh low-income students or just students in general are able to apply for their colleges for free and i know csu is one of those colleges that um uh, participates in that. So that's a pretty cool experience and a pretty cool opportunity for a lot of students that maybe don't want to pay for a college application or can't.
0: Yeah, well, and going to college is uh, awesome. That's how we ended up here on the radio.
1: Heck yeah, it is. A um, little disclaimer before I read all of these. So all these descriptions I'm reading verbatim, essentially from the national calendar website, because at least for these three national days, I thought they described them so well, so fun, so cute (laughs) better than i could have today so today sends out notices to all the grouches of the world to be their truest grouch you got it (laughs) (laughs) if you are a grouch today is your special day according to sesame street magazine the day was created for all grouches to celebrate their way of life
0: good we deserve it
1: I don't know what that voice is. It's my
0: grouchy voice. Okay.
1: (laughs) Sometimes grumps give backhanded compliments like, your house looked horrible until you (laughs) painted it. Other times, they don't give them at all. Noise, silence, general activity will make a grouchy generally unpleasant. As per Merriam-Webster dictionary, a grouch is described as a person who complains frequently or constantly. A A habitually irritable or complaining person.
0: That doesn't seem like a very nice description. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It seems that a grouch may be happy, although they would never admit it, only when others are unhappy and grouchy. It is then that they feel most comfortable with having others share in their grumpy, cantankerous, surly world with them. National Grouch Day would be a good time to send a Grouch e-card and then ask a friend, whether they be a Grouch or not, to come on over, sit back, share some popcorn, relax, and watch the movie Grumpy Old Men. I'd
0: love to, but popcorn kernels get stuck in my teeth. (laughs) Oh
1: my goodness.
3: (laughs) I'm good at this, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Too Grouchy. All right. So if you're not... Uh, grouchy, or even if you are, maybe a little bit of cheese will make you feel better. Cause it today, usually does. Today is National <laughs> Cheese Curd Day. The national calendar describes the day best by saying, National Cheese Curd Day is observed annually on October 15th. This is a day to enjoy the velvety goodness of cheese curds. Cheese curds are unique, funky snackable little pieces of yellow or white wisconsin cheddar cheese many restaurants coat and deep fried them to a golden brown when you bite into fr- the first one expect a warm buttery crunch on the outside the next delicious taste will be an ooey gooey burst of dairyland delicacy on the inside who writes these i know that's why i had i'm reading theirs because they're so fun this is amazing what are they well they're a product of cheese making Fresh ones squeak when you bite into them. Cheesemakers create different flavors flavors to appease the growing number of people enjoying cheese curds. And October 15th is also national I love Lucy day. I love Lucy was a popular sitcom that starred Lucille O'Ball, Lucille Ball and made it made its debut in 1951. The program created a new television experience with the first filmed and scripted program performed before a live audience. The studio literally knocked a hole in a concrete wall, creating room for theater seating, inviting the once-banned fans to see the stars perform for free. The new format and I Love Lucy won five Emmy Awards and received numerous nominations. In four of its six seasons, I Love Lucy was the most-watched show in the United States. In 2002, TV Guide ranked the sitcom television's second greatest show of all time, and in 2007, it landed on Time magazine's 100 best shows of all time list.
0: Have you ever, uh, have you ever seen the chocolate scene from My yes, Love Lucy? Yes, that's
1: like the most iconic scene. And I was
0: just thinking of how funny that is. Like that's a 50-year-old, you know, skit. It's still really funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's me. Whenever I see any food, so.
0: Me too. <laughs> or really, whenever I'm overwhelmed by anything, I just start eating. What? Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, it's time our show is wrapping up, but I'm going to need a drum roll for this last segment because... From who? Well, from you, I guess. From You're me. the only other person in here. I guess so. Thanks, Ren. It's time for the weather! Tomorrow, it's going to be cloudy and cool with only a high of 77. Only a high of 77. I feel like that's the highest high we've had in a minute. I don't know. It's been chilly, but that that sounds only cloudy and cool with a high of 77. The temperatures keep dropping on Thursday, but they only drop one degree to 76, and the clouds keep rolling, rolling, rolling in like the bowling balls you swing towards the pins. <laughs> Tune in on Thursday's show to find out what you can expect rolling into this weekend. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. Um, And that's the end of our show today, but before we go into our usual thank yous, I would just like to say that we uh, have a very exciting show planned for Thursday's episode where we will not only have uh, a gentleman who's been collecting a digital library of uh, music photography for the last 20 years uh, with all kinds of acts in there, but we also have um, Neil from Denver Film Society who will be in the studio talking about uh, the Denver Stars Film Festival And it's first year of doing things in Fort Collins uh, Which includes an interactive VR portion at the Lyric And uh, that's been going on for more than or, uh, I believe 40 years but they've never done anything In Fort Collins So uh, we're lucky enough to get to sit down with Neil before that starts And learn exactly what's going on So if any of that sounds interesting to you Definitely tune in on Thursday But at the meantime we got to start thanking people Because we're basically out of time So I'm going to start by thanking Damien Castile Who made that song uh, Which song? The one that's playing right now this with the song? yeah this one wow. isn't it groovy? It's
1: pretty. I wouldn't say groovy, but it's pretty
0: great. I'ma call it groovy. <laughs> I'm dancing. <laughs> um, we also
1: have and Coda Babcock for coming on the show and giving us their amazing sports and local news segments.
0: We gotta thank Allison Kung for doing that phone interview with me last week, as well as Dan Sloan for coming in earlier. Uh, It was really great to talk to both of you and I think I learned a lot about genetics and I hope our listeners did as well.
1: We have to thank a couple people at KSU as well as all of KSU, honestly. So we have to thank Julia Badalese, Hannah Copeland, Isaiah Reyes, and Peter Wack, as well as Hunter Sinclair, Sinclair, Asher Korn,
0: really anyone and everyone. Uh, there's so much great staff here at KCSU. Um, it's a collaborative effort. We couldn't do it without all your help. We wouldn't um, wanna do it without your and help. Same you goes to Rocky Mountain Student Media, honestly. The people at the Collegian, uh, Raven, um, Austin, Austin. yeah, everyone really. It, it's a joint effort, especially with us news teams. And so we just wanna acknowledge all of you and thank all of you, because if it were just us, I don't think we'd do as good a job.
1: I have to thank Christmas Hunter for the amazing guests he brings on, the amazing content he brings to the show, and the awesome questions he's able to ask.
0: Well, I'd like to thank you because uh, if it were just you, you'd still do a pretty good job.
1: Oh no. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Um, and the music's over, but finally, we have to thank you, dear listener. We went a little long with the thank yous today, so we're going to give you a really long thank you, you for me. listening.
1: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>